Welcome to the Hills. If you're in person at West Fort Worth, at South Lake, or North Richmond Hills, uh, or if you're watching online. And if you're watching or visiting for the very first time, you picked an amazing day to be at our church because we're unveiling today our vision for the next five years as a church. Uh, the famous concert pianist, Arthur Rubenstein, was once invited to attend a church, and he replied, take me to a church that will challenge me to attempt the impossible. Now, implied in his request was the truth that many churches are not attempting the impossible. They're just kind of drifting along. The truth is some churches are like a cruise ship with no destination. Imagine being on a cruise ship and you said, where is this ship going? Well, I don't know, but have you checked out the pool? It's awesome. Yeah, it's a nice pool, but where are we going? Well, I don't know, but have you been to the buffet? The food is great. Yeah, the buffet is great. The, the service is great. The amenities are great. But where is the ship going? And if you can't answer that question, I think I want off the ship. Now, I finished a series in August titled Essential Church, and I made my case that I believe in the power of the local church to push back the gates of hell. There is no community like the church that has a better story to tell, a bolder hope to offer, a bigger mission to pursue. And a big mission needs a big vision. So for the next two weeks, what I want to reveal is the vision for the Hills Church for the next five years. And hold on, church, because we are going to attempt the impossible. Now, the first thing we need to do is distinguish between the word mission and the word vision. They're often used interchangeably, but I'm not going to be doing that because mission is non-negotiable. It was given by Jesus himself. Making disciples is the church's one and only mission. It doesn't matter what denomination it is. It doesn't matter what country it's in. It doesn't matter whether it's a large church or a small church. The Hills Church exists to make and grow followers of Jesus. That is the mission, and it's non-negotiable. Now, vision is the way we're going to pursue the mission. It's the way as a church we're going to stay focused on the mission and measure what impact we are having with regard to the mission. You see, vision is anchored in mission. But what vision does is recognize that God gives every person and every church unique opportunities and resources and gifts. Uh, see, one of the great things about being in the image of God is that we get to imagine what kind of future we want to have. A dog does not sit around and meditate, what kind of dog do I want to become in five years? A pride of lions does not have any conversations on what is our future for our community. No, that's what we get to do because we are image bearers of God. We get to imagine a future that we want to have. And we believe this picture has been imparted to us by God because we asked for it. So a church vision then is going to be a specific, a measurable, a unique strategy for how a church is going to pursue the mission of God. And it's important to understand that 
The goal of a vision is not certainty, it's clarity. Now, here's what I mean. It's the start of football season. If you're a football fan, you know the mission is simple, win the game. That's the only mission, win the game. But every coach is going to go into a game with a unique strategy, a game plan. How are we going to try to win this game? And every coach knows at some point in the game, the other team is going to do things you didn't expect. You're going to have to adapt your strategy. You're going to have to call some audibles. So in the next five years, have we anticipated everything we could face as a church? Of course not. Will we have to tweak our vision? Of course we will. But we're going to start with a game plan because it's going to help us have a shared understanding. This is what we want to do. This is how we can do it together. And this is why it's important that we try to do it. Now, if you've been a member of our church for very long, you know that we believe in the power and the value of having a vision. For many years, our church was guided by what we called our 2020 vision. But we recognized when, as 2020 was growing closer that it was time to discern what is the next vision going to be. So our elders tasked me with the responsibility of trying to discern what our next vision would be and to lead the process that meant a lot of reflecting, a lot of reading, a lot of listening to ministries and leaders in the church. And then you might recall in the fall of 2019, I asked you to pray for me. I was going to go on a retreat and seek the Lord. Now I'm a prayer walker and I'll bet in six days I walked about 90 miles. And that first day, all I did was pray and thank the Lord for what he had done in the past at our church through our current vision. But day two, I started to seek the Lord. What's the next vision, Lord? And I have to tell you, I walked a long way and I heard nothing. And I started to panic. Am I going to go back and everyone's going to say, what's the new vision? And I'm going to say, I got nothing. I didn't want to do that. But then I immediately knew that fear is not from the Lord. So I captured that thought and the Holy Spirit brought to my mind immediately a verse where Jesus said, if your child asked for a piece of bread, would you give him a snake? If he asked for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your father in heaven? We have a good, good father who wants to bless his kids. So I repented of my fear and I said, Lord, I don't know what you're going to give me, but I know you're going to give me a new vision for our church because you're a good father. About 20 minutes later, I thought just came into my mind and it was strong and it was clear. And here it was, ask for nations and generations. Now I'll be honest. Could I have read that in the past? Maybe. Have I heard it somewhere before? Perhaps. I don't remember. I just know I wasn't in my mind. And suddenly it was in my mind so powerfully that I knew when I got back to where I was staying, I was going to have to open up my Bible. So I did. And I said, I'm going to read every verse in the Bible with the word nations or generations in it. And it was a four hour Bible study. And I knew God had spoken. And I came back to our leadership and said, I believe we're supposed to ask for nations and generations. And we began to then to pray and discern what would that look like for our church. Now, what I'm going to do in a little bit is I'm going to share with you the seven goals we have for the next five years for nations at our church. Next week, I'll share with you our goal for generations. But before I get there, I want to do a Bible study. I want to make it clear to you, working through the Word of God, that God has a heart for the nations. That God's redemptive plan has always focused on nations, going all the way back to His call 
of Abraham. God said in Genesis 18, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. So when God launched the redemptive plan, the goal was to bless all the nations. Israel was not and has never been God's favorite nation. Israel was God's chosen nation to be used to bless all the nations. Israel was to be a light to the nations, pointing them to the worship of the one true God. Now, this was a constant emphasis in their worship songs. There's a book in the Old Testament called the Psalms. It has 150 songs that ancient Israel used to sing. And throughout that songbook is the theme, God loves the nations. Listen at some of these songs. Psalm of 47, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Psalm 57, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. Psalm 72, may all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. Then all nations will be blessed through him and they will call him blessed. You see, they sang that God wanted to bless the nations just as he promised Abraham. Now let's keep reading. Psalm 86, all the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. Psalm 102, the nations will fear the name of the Lord. All the kings of the earth will revere your glory. And so, Israel sang all the time, God has a heart for the nations, but Israel sang a better song than it lived. Because rather than being a light to the nations, Israel often kept the nations in darkness about the one true God. Instead of being a people that told the nations about God, Israel too often became a people that kept the nations away from God. However, God was not going to give up on his desired future. And so in the Old Testament, God would raise up prophets who would declare the coming of a Messiah who would reclaim God's desire for the nations. That's very, very important. That the coming of the Messiah wasn't just to forgive individuals of their sins. The Messiah was coming to reclaim the nations for the purposes of God. Look, for example, at the book of Isaiah. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. God's future includes a worth where there is no more war between nations. Or uh, Isaiah 42, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to 
the nations. The mission of the Messiah was not just to save individuals. It was to bless the nations. In Isaiah 60, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Or chapter 66, and I, because of what they've planned and done, am about to come and gather the people of all nations and languages. And they will come and see my glory. So the Messiah is going to come to fulfill a promise made to Abraham through your seed. I'm going to bless all the nations. Maybe one of the most dramatic prophecies is Daniel. He's an old man. He's in exile in Babylon, and he has a vision. Chapter 7. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So Jesus, the Messiah, is God's agent of redemption, not just for individuals, but for people groups. And by the way, it's very important. When you read the word nations in the Bible, don't think a landmass with a clear boundary. Think people groups. The, the word in the Greek is ta ethna. It's where you get the word ethnic or ethnicity. That's what the Bible means. So that's why, for example, in a landmass called Canaan, you could have a lot of nations, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Amorites. The word nations in the Bible means a particular people with their own language and their own culture. And Jesus came to fulfill God's promise to Abraham to bless all the ethnic groups in the world. We see it start as soon as he's born. People come from other nations to worship baby Jesus. You see it all through his life and ministry. You see it even at his death. Simon, an African, carried his cross. A Roman centurion affirmed he was the son of God at his death. You see it all through the Gospels. Matthew 12, in his name, the nations will put their hope. Jesus said just before he died in Matthew 24, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So it's no coincidence then. Why did God choose the day of Pentecost as the day to send the Holy Spirit and birth the church? Well, look what it says in Acts 2.5 about the day of Pentecost, that people were there from every nation. From every nation People were there to hear the first sermon that Jesus is Messiah, died for our sins, and is raised from the dead. And still, after all that prophetic literature, after three years of being discipled by Jesus, the first Christians had trouble grasping how big God's vision was. And so for the first few years of the church, they only preached the gospel to one nation. So Peter's on a roof. He's sleeping. He has a dream. He sees a sheep come down with all these animals. He's hungry. The Spirit says, kill and eat. He says, no, Lord. That's a contradiction in terms, by the way. 
No, Lord, I'm not going to eat anything unclean. But before that day is over, Peter is at the house of Cornelius, a Gentile. He's preaching about Jesus. The Holy Spirit got tired. The sermon was too long. So the Holy Spirit just comes down and baptizes everybody before the sermon's over. And Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And the church began to preach to all the nations. It became the new narrative, which was really the old and only narrative that the Bible ever preached. One of the early songs of the church was in 1 Timothy 3. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. From the very start of the Bible, God has made it clear, I want to bless the nations. And he made it more clear at the very end of the Bible. The Bible closes with John's vision of God's promise to Abraham being fulfilled. Chapter 7 of the Revelation. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. In chapter 21, you get the vision of the new heaven and the new earth, and it says the glory and honor of all the nations will be brought into it. And in the last chapter of the Bible, we read, on each side of the river stood a tree of life, bearing the 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. See, God is going to get what God longs for. The future God has announced is going to come. A new earth filled with obedient children from every nation. And it is the responsibility of the church to give the world a glimpse of what's coming. People should be able to look at the church and see and imagine what the future is going to be like. We are to bring heaven to earth. And so, before Jesus returned to heaven, he made the mission absolutely clear. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples ta ethna of every ethnicity, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the mission. And the mission is non-negotiable. The vision is how for the next five years the Hills Church is going to ask for the nations. So what I'm going to share with you are the seven audacious huge goals we believe God has given us for the next five years for our church starting January 2020. Uh, two through December 2026. Here we go. Goal number one. We want to see 1,825 people surrender to Christ and be baptized. 
We want to lead with a goal that is absolutely mission-centric. To see people make intentional decisions to become followers of Jesus. Why 1,825? Because that's one person a day for five years. It says in the book of Acts that people were added daily to the kingdom, and we want to see that happen again. We want to see a person a day come to Christ. Now, let me be clear. We don't think baptism is the destination point of discipleship. Baptism is the launching pad. Jesus said, baptize them and then teach them how to follow me. But he did say baptize them. In fact, he said specifically, I want you to baptize people from every nation. If that's what Jesus wants, that's what we want. So you can start praying for your one. You can start praying now that God is going to give you that one person to come to Christ in the next five years. Goal number two, we want to become a multi-ethnic church. Now, what does that mean? There's a lot of literature out there, and the, the accepted definition at this time is this. A church is considered to be a multi-ethnic if no one ethnic group of that church comprises more than 80% of the population of the whole church. Now, that seems like a pretty low bar to me, but here's the reality. There's only a few percentages of churches in the whole country that meets that standard. We want to meet it, and we want to go way past it for two reasons. And here's number one, obedience. We want to be obedient to God's clear mandate revealed in the Scriptures. He wants a community that reaches and looks like the nations. And this is why the New Testament never endorses the mono-ethnic church. This is why nobody in the New Testament ever plants a mono-ethnic church. We do so out of obedience, but we also do so out of expedience. Because my friends, we live in a beautifully diverse county. In Tarrant County, there is no one ethnic group that makes up over 50% of the population of the county. Now, the Bible says in the book of Acts that you live where you live, when you live for the purpose of God. God puts you at this time in this place for his purpose. And we live in a diverse county. God is bringing the nations to us. And mission faithfulness demands that we respond to what God is doing. And one thing that means is that we're going to embrace ethnic diversity at every level of leadership in our church. We want in five years to be much more ethnically diverse at every level of leadership than we currently are. And that's something else you need to be praying about. Goal number three, we want to be a church of at least five campuses. We believe God is calling our church to have a greater imprint across Dallas-Fort Worth than we currently have. It could take the form of new faith communities. It could take the form of existing faith communities that want to join our vision. But I truly believe that in five years, we will see outposts of our church in places we cannot imagine right now. So we will ask, and God will reveal. Goal number four. We want to engage members of our church as advocates for 25 asylum-seeking families or individuals in our community. Now, what do I mean by asylum seekers? They are people who have been recognized by our government and have been welcomed into our country because the country they 
live in is dangerous for them. It might be because of their race. It might be because of their religion. It might be because of their politics. But our country has welcomed them because it's not safe for them to be where they are. Here's the thing. They come to our country, and it's a two- to three-year process for them to get a work permit. And during that time, they get no government assistance. So we're going to partner with a Christ-centered agency in town called Dash Network to help these families with their physical needs and with the cultural education they need to thrive in their new country. Let's be clear. Some of these families will be Christians. And the reason they've come here is because it's dangerous for them to stay where they currently are. Some of these families will not be Christians, but we are going to receive them and welcome them with the love of Christ. I'm happy to tell you that we currently have at all three of our campuses one couple in training with Dash Network to learn how to be advocates for the silent seekers. This might be what God's calling you. This might be something your community group wants to do together. Dash Network is having a gala at the West Fort Worth campus at 7 o'clock this Thursday. You might want to attend and learn more about this amazing Christ-centered ministry. Goal number five. We want to help launch and or support 15 new multi-ethnic church plants. And this was one of the most popular initiatives of our last vision. The first disciples pursued Jesus' mission by going all over the world and starting churches. And we're going to follow their strategy. And all of these new churches are going to share our strategy of reaching all the nations in their community. And so we're going to start 15 new multi-ethnic churches in the next five years. Goal number six, we want to support the Livingstone International University community through prayer and by sending 20 members to teach, equip, and encourage. Maybe the most audacious thing in our last vision was the idea that we could start a Christian university in East Africa, and we did. In Mbali, Uganda, I've been there several times. It is absolutely amazing. The school was launched. We've already had graduating classes. The potential is incredible, but the challenges created by the pandemic are formidable. I'm going to be totally honest. LIU is in a tough place right now because they haven't been able to have students on their campus in over a year, and it's really strapped their resources. We're going to continue to invest at LIU with our finances, with our people, and most of all with our prayers. I need you to pray for Livingstone International University and the absolutely incredible potential it could have to shape East Africa into the next century. And then goal number seven. We want to reach the unreached by launching and supporting five church planning movements and by supporting Bible translation efforts in five new languages. Now, we've always been a mission-minded church, but what we want to do is shift our focus a bit and concentrate more in the future on those parts of the world where access to Christ is very minimal. 29% of our world has little access to Christ. You can't go down the street and buy a Bible. They can't go to a Christian church without it being dangerous. And yet, Western churches only give 1% 
of their mission budget to the 29% of the world that has no access to Christ. We feel like God is calling us to do more focus there. Watch this video, please. There are 7,407 unreached people groups in the world. That is over 3 billion men, women, and children who have never even heard of Jesus. Meanwhile, 180 million people in more than 2,000 languages are without the Bible. Church, we have work to do. So we are committing to reaching the unreached like never before. 95% of all unreached people groups are located in a part of the world between 10 degrees latitude and 40 degrees longitude, stretching from North Africa to Southeast Asia. This is known as the 1040 window. We feel called to invest significant resources in this part of the world to reach the unreached through church planting and Bible translation. So over the next five years, we will partner with Bible translators to see God's word translated into five new languages. Communities will be transformed as they finally hear the story of Jesus in their own tongue. And over the next five years, we will launch five church planting movements. Notice the goal is not five new churches, but five church planting movements. We are asking God to raise up disciples who will plant churches, who plant churches, and who can't help but multiply because of the power of Jesus that is going to come alive in them. Church, the work ahead is beyond our abilities, but it is not beyond God's will. So we ask in Jesus' name for the unreached to be reached. Actually, church, we've, we've began to make this shift a couple of years ago. And so through your generous harvest offerings every fall, we are currently supporting some people in places in the world, and we don't put their pictures on the website. We don't tell you where they are. I got a picture last spring from one of those people. I know it's blurry. It's on purpose. I can't tell you who it is or where they are or who that people group is. But they took that picture to send to our church if you could see their faces, they would be smiling and beaming. Here's why. They've just finished translating the Gospel of Matthew into the language of that people. For the first time ever, people are able to read about Jesus in their own language. And they wanted to send us that picture to thank us. Isn't that something? When I got that picture, I jumped up and spiked my Bible. I was so excited. You see, here's the thing. You don't have to wonder if praying for the nations is in the will of God. Now, you and I pray a lot of prayers where we say, Lord, if this is your will. We don't have to say that. We don't have to wonder if God wants us to reach the nations. Now, I know I've given you a lot to look at. We've created this website called nationsandgenerations.org. And you can go and look at it and learn more about what we want to do for nations and generations. And I'll admit, when you look at it, it's going to be daunting. But remember this. There's no people group on earth where disciples cannot be made who will make more disciples because all authority over all nations belongs to Jesus. Amen. He said, you go to every ethnic group because all authority has been given to me and I will be with you wherever you go. 
And so, when Linus went out to the mound to see Charlie Brown and the bases were loaded, Charlie Brown said, Linus, we're doomed. And Linus said, no, Charlie Brown, we're just surrounded by insurmountable opportunities. <laughs> well, we are. A church trying to attempt the impossible, except for this. Nothing is impossible with God. Remember, the first word God gave me was not nations. The first word God gave me was ask. Ask for the nations. Two of the great spiritual giants of the last century were A.B. Simpson and F.B. Meyer. Meyer was visiting Simpson. He got up real early in the morning to go downstairs for his devotions. He tried to be quiet. He didn't want to wake anyone up. But when he got down the stairs, he saw the light was already on in Simpson's study. He was already up spending time with the Lord. He peeked inside. Simpson was on his knees. There was a globe in front. He had his finger on a nation and was praying. He turned the globe and put his finger somewhere else and prayed. And then he watched as the old man put his arms around the whole globe and just began to weep. He, he shared God's heart for the nations. And I want us to do the same. I want you to bow your head right now. God gave me a word, ask for the nations. That's what we're about to do. I'm going to ask you to pray for a nation. Ask the Holy Spirit right now to put a nation on your heart. It might be a group at your school who've just immigrated to our country. It might be the nation where you were born or visited on a trip. It might be a people group that lives in your neighborhood. I don't know who, but just ask the Holy Spirit right now to put one particular nation on your heart and start praying for God's blessing to come to them. So God, bless the nations through Jesus Christ and help us to want this as much as you do. Help us to become the church that can give the world a glimpse of the future. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.